Welcome to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We want to be a place where you can own your faith and take next steps in your relationship with Jesus. Maybe your next step is to seek out a community and join a movement group. Maybe it's supporting movement financially for the first time or using your gifts on a volunteer team. Whatever God is calling you to do, our prayer is that you will step out in faith and let Him lead you. For more information about your next step, please visit movementcolumbus.com. Easter Sunday is next week. Uh, we have two services. Uh, we have one that's going to be at 9, one at 1045, and we're excited uh, to be together just to celebrate hope, to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, uh, and, and see uh, exactly what God wants to do next week. There's, uh, there's invite cards on your seat. You've probably heard us talking about this. We're, we're passing those out, not so that you can take them home and put them in that little dish that you put your keys in and let them sit there. Uh, we, we've put those invite cards out because we want you to invite a friend. Uh, we, we think that uh, over the last couple years, COVID has interrupted a lot of things, and we've been able to rebuild those things. What does it look like for our groups to exist again? What does it look like for us to worship together on Sunday mornings in a public space? And uh, the, the one thing that we think we can, we can still work on, that the American church can still work on, that movement church can still work on, we think uh, that, that we need to, to work on inviting friends to church. In fact, ask yourself this morning, when is the last time I brought a friend with me to church? Now, that's not to throw shade, because I think for most of us, it was probably a while ago, maybe a year, maybe two years ago. And so we want Easter uh, next Sunday to be the time that we can all bring a friend. In fact, I want to ask you to, to do something right now. Go ahead and pull your phone out. Yes, you can pull your phone out, pull your phone out. Now, some of you uh, have already invited a friend, so I want you to go ahead and text that friend, maybe that family member, whoever that is, and say, hey, I'm excited for you to come to church with me next week. Some of you have heard me talk about this every week and are like, ugh, I still didn't invite that person. Well, guess what? We're giving you 30 seconds to do that right now. Go ahead, text that friend. You've got their phone number. They're in your family. You work with them. Just say, hey, I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited about church next week. Would you want to come with me to church on Easter? I'm going to text my friend Jason and uh, just, just tell him I'm excited too. Um, hey, I'm texting you in front of a couple hundred people at my church I hope you're still coming to Easter next week. If you don't, I may lose my job, period. LOL, smiley face, all right? So just, just send something like that. Uh, Jason's not going to think I'm normal, but uh, it's, it's pretty easy to invite a friend. Our, our goal in next week is, is not that you have to trick someone into church. We, we simply want to put you in, in situations where you can talk about your hope in Jesus, where you can talk about your faith. Uh, you, don't, you don't have to be worried about bringing a friend to church, but usually bringing someone to church will begin to bring up those conversations and allow you a chance to share your faith. So thanks for doing that. If you didn't get your phone out right now, shame on you. All right, you can do that at lunch though, all right? So, uh, hey, Don mentioned that we've been going through the book of Mark. We've been doing a study on the life and ministry of Jesus, and actually in the book of Mark, the word immediately is used 39 times. It's not really a, a normal thing, but the reason that that book uh, uses the word immediately so often is because it's fast-paced and it's always looking ahead and looking forward. And the thing that it's looking forward to is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. In fact, the, the last third of the book of Mark talks about Holy Week, which starts today, the day that we celebrate Palm Sunday, and ends next Sunday on Easter Sunday. Holy Week was a time when all of the Jews would go back into Jerusalem. It was kind of like homecoming. If you were a college student, everybody would come back 
And all of the Jews came to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover feast. And so Jesus and his disciples were Jewish and also went there to celebrate when God had brought the Jews out of slavery. And so this week of Holy Week was a big deal. In fact, when Jesus went back that week, there was kind of a a buzz in the air, a buzz around the the room, a buzz around the city that people were saying, is Jesus going to be there? What's going to happen? I've been hearing about this guy, hearing about his ministry, hearing about his teaching, hearing about his, his ministry and his miracles, and everyone was wondering what is going to take place. And that week, from Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday, begins with this interaction in scripture called the triumphant entry. And so we want to look at that passage today. If you've got a Bible, you can turn there. We're going to be in Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. Mark 11, verses 1 through 11. On some of the Bibles, it's on page 772. And we want to read this passage together and just see what God has to teach us today as we look at what's considered and celebrated as Palm Sunday. Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. It says this. As Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem... They came to the towns of Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. As soon as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, what are you doing? Just say, the Lord needs it and will return soon. Now, this interaction right here is, is really setting in motion a lot of things that Jesus has been talking about. He had always mentioned to his disciples and in his teaching, he had said that the religious establishment would kill him in Jerusalem. And so they had been hanging out by the Mount of Olives, but when he and his disciples began to move into the city or talk about moving into the city, when he set out in that direction, he was really setting in motion something much bigger than just like, hey, let's, let's go in there and grab some food. It was known amongst his inner circle. He had said, this is where my life is going to end. And so his final days are happening. And by moving in this direction, by going in this direction, Jesus is fulfilling hundreds of verses of prophecy that said how the Son of God would be born, how he would function, how he would live his life, how he would live his ministry, and how his final days would take place. This was all part of the many ways that Jesus fulfilled what the Old Testament and what scripture had pointed forward to. So I want you to know this, the life of Jesus was all part of God's plan. Nothing that you read in the life of Jesus is an accident. Nothing that you read about in the life of Jesus from every event, every interaction, every conversation, every person, none of those things were mere chance or coincidence. His birth had a purpose. His ministry had a purpose. And this final week of his life has a great purpose. So it might seem like a little thing that Jesus says to a few disciples, hey, uh, go on into that uh, town and uh, you'll, find a, you'll find a donkey there. But I want you to know that that's not a small thing. That's not an accident. That's why he gives these instructions here in verse four. It says this. The two disciples left and found the colt standing in the street tied outside the front door. As they were untying it, some bystanders demanded, what are you doing untying that colt? They said that Jesus had told, what Jesus had told them to say, and they were permitted to take it. So these disciples walk into town. They find a donkey, just like Jesus said they would. They find it in the location that he said they would. And when the one hiccup kind of comes along, it was actually a hiccup that he had said, hey, this might happen. And so when someone said, hey, you can't take that, he's like, they're like, oh, no, no, the, the, the Lord needs it. They kind of said the secret password, and, and everything unfolded just had, as Jesus had said. This is not an accident. This is not random chance. We already said that the life of Jesus was all part of God's plan. 
And you know this, but I want to point this out, that God's plan is perfect. Every single piece of God's plan is perfect. Verse 7 says this, Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it, and he sat on it. Now there's a a verse in uh, Zechariah 9.9 that kind of said this exact interaction would happen. That when the king and the Messiah arrived, he would be riding on a donkey's colt. The disciples knew this. They would have known of prophecy. They and the Jewish people were looking forward to the Messiah, their Savior. And so as this is taking place, the hype is building. And they're like, it's happening. It's happening. They'd been waiting on this moment. Maybe they didn't completely connect all the dots or exactly understand everything that was taking place. But they were excited about this moment. And so they put their coats over this donkey for Jesus to ride on it. And it wasn't just the disciples, but crowds were forming and people were excited about this. It was Passover week. As I said, it's like homecoming week. Everyone comes home and there were crowds. And as people were coming into the city, Jesus was coming into the city. Verse 8 says this. Many in the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others spread leafy branches they had cut in the fields. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God! Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessings on the coming kingdom of our ancestor David! Praise God in highest heaven! So Jesus came to Jerusalem and went into the temple. After looking around carefully at everything, he left because it was late in the afternoon. Then he returned to Bethany with the 12 disciples. Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem, or what's come to be known as Palm Sunday, raised the crowd's messianic hopes. This was the Messiah they'd been looking forward to. This was the Savior they wanted. And he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, on a donkey's colt, just as it had been prophesied in Scripture. In fact, that verse said, See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey. And so they saw this unfolding. They got excited. They threw down their coats. They threw their garments down. They got palm branches. They were waving them. They were laying them down. And they were screaming and shouting, Hosanna! which means salvation at last. Salvation at last. And surely in this moment, many people assumed this is the guy we've been waiting on. But the people's definition of salvation and their definition of a king and power and a Messiah didn't completely match up with Jesus' definition See, he wanted them to be free from their slavery of sin, and they wanted to be freed from the slavery of the Roman Empire, and they wanted to be led by this incredible conquering king. The nation of Israel had been waiting on this king. They were waiting on a king to ride in with this great entourage and all of his people and all of this pageantry and, and sweep in and say, I'm here, and I'm great, and you're free with an army and with servants and with animals. And there was one animal, and they knew it would happen, but I think they probably thought there'd be some war horses on the scene too. And there was just this one young donkey. And so as Jesus approaches the temple, the crowd begins to connect the dots and look at this and think like, this isn't what I thought it would be. This isn't how I thought this would unfold. They should have seen it coming. Jesus had described his kingdom perfectly but they were always putting their desires and their wishes on top of his kingdom and not really listening, not really connecting the dots. In fact, instead of hyping up the crowd and saying things like, the king has arrived, we actually have another account of this story from the Gospel of Luke. And it tells us that as Jesus is riding in on this colt, he's looking at the crowds, he's making eye contact with the people 
And he's crying. He's, he's weeping. It doesn't really sound like a mighty conquering king because he's connecting the dots. He's, he's looking at the state of their hearts and he's looking at their lives and he's looking at what they're saying in that moment. They're saying, praise the Lord, salvation is here, but they don't mean it. They do not understand what they're saying. Why was he weeping? Because these people were praising him with their mouths one moment and a week later, they'd be yelling, crucify him, crucify him. He knew that they were saying that he was Lord and he would be the scum of the earth just a few days later. See, Jesus had taught throughout his earthly ministry that before following him, before, before saying, you're my Lord, you're my Savior, you're my everything, that someone should count the cost. Before saying, Jesus is our Lord, we should count the cost and understand exactly what that decision means for our life, for our actions. And they hadn't counted the cost. How do we know that? Because even as this interaction ends, people begin to walk away. The crowd dissipates. Everyone leaves and doesn't care because they're like, yes, this is the Messiah. Wait a minute. This guy looks pretty average. He's on a donkey. Where's the, where's the army? Where's the, where's the hype? Where's the music? Where's the power? Where, where? And the crowds begin to walk away and disappear. And no one seems to care about what's going on. And before we rush judgment on these people, we can learn from Palm Sunday and realize that we do the exact same thing. We momentarily praise Jesus with our mouths, and when it's no longer exciting, when it's no longer convenient, when it doesn't fit our schedule or our purpose, we walk away and we do whatever we want. We call him Lord, and then we go right back to being Lord of our own empire, our own world, and our own life. We're yelling, Jesus is Lord on Sunday morning. Praise Jesus. And by Sunday afternoon, we're just back to normal. We're doing things that proclaim, I'm Lord. I'm important. I'm the Savior. We say that Jesus is everything with our mouth. We proclaim that. We praise him. We exclaim that. But do we say it with our lives the rest of the week? Here's our big idea for this morning. It says this. Be careful proclaiming Jesus as your king without considering what his kingship requires. Be careful proclaiming Jesus as your king without considering what his kingship requires. See, before you proclaim Jesus as your king, you have to consider where his kingship will lead you. If you proclaim Jesus as your king, his kingship is going to change the way you live and it should change the way you think and change the way that you function. Don't proclaim Jesus as your king and then treat him like an advisor. His kingship leads to surrender. It leads to service. And if you're not ready for those things, if those things don't excite you, don't proclaim him as your king had a friend in college. His name was Joel. It's not Joel Trainer. Some of you know that we sent a church planner named Joel, and you're going to be glad it's not Joel Trainer after I tell you this story. But I had a friend in college named Joel, and he was dating a girl named Bethany. 
Joel went to my school in Indiana, but Bethany went to school in Virginia, and we'd all known each other through our youth conference before school started. And this was actually when, when Facebook was kind of blowing up and getting big. And so some people were learning what Facebook was, and you'd put things on your wall, like who you were dating and the important info in your life. You'd put up entire albums of pictures that you wish you wouldn't have ever put up now. But anyway, that's what you would do, right? And so, so we were in school, and, and Bethany was on Facebook, and on her wall it said, like, I'm dating, I'm dating Joel. I don't know if Joel hadn't accepted the invite or how it worked back then, but on just, just wasn't, a, wasn't a big thing in his life. In fact, uh, his Facebook didn't really show anything. And Joel was also friends with another girl that went to our school named Lily. And oftentimes when I was going to class, I would see Joel and Lily together. I'm like, oh, that's kind of weird. Joel and Lily are walking together. And then one time I saw him walking together and holding hands. And I was like, maybe, maybe she's lost. Maybe he's trying to help her get to class, right? And then another time I saw them on a Friday night and it looked a lot like they were on a date. And I thought, wait a minute, Joel can't be on a date with Lily. He's dating Bethany. See, in that scenario, we would all judge that guy, right? Because he's a, he's a hypocrite. He's pledged his love to someone and yet he didn't really understand what it meant, didn't want to keep his end of the bargain. And, and he's a hypocrite, but we do the exact same thing. Our commitment to Jesus is a fair weather commitment. Our commitment to Jesus depends on if we're feeling like it on that day. Our commitment to Jesus depends if we think we'll get caught or anyone will see us. Be careful proclaiming Jesus as your king without considering what his kingship requires. Sometimes we look like hypocrites. I want to give us a a grid to to evaluate if we're fair-weather followers of Jesus. A life surrendered to Jesus will give their time. So I think it's fair for us to ask this morning, does your calendar look like you're committed to Jesus? Do you spend time with Jesus, and do you spend time serving people in his name? A life surrendered to Jesus will give their talent. So do you use your gifts in the name of Jesus? Do you use your talent in the name of Jesus? Does your platform glorify the name of Jesus and point people to Jesus? A life surrendered to Jesus will give their treasure. So I think it's a fair question to ask, does your budget say Jesus is Lord? Do your finances say Jesus is my king? Does your budget show that you're trusting Jesus to provide or that you're going to provide for yourself and take care of yourself and Jesus is a really good idea? So the reason that we can talk about our time, our talent, our treasure, all of those things come down to one simple word and that word is trust. Do you trust that Jesus is who he says he is and that he will provide and be all that he's promised? We say that Jesus is our everything and Jesus is all that we need, but we go out of our way to impress people. We're at the water cooler at work and we decide to exaggerate this story a little bit more than the way that took place. And we decide to even gossip about someone because we want people to be impressed with us and like us. And their approval matters. We say that Jesus is our everything and we say that all we need is Jesus, but man, it feels good when the people around us like us. We say that our life is anchored in Jesus. We say that he's our everything. 
But on the weekends, it sure feels good to toss a couple back with our, with our fellas and, and make sure that our anxiety can, can be detached a little bit. We say that Jesus is our king, but we don't take our anxiety to him. We take it to alcohol instead. We buy things to impress people because we want them to know that we are impressive. We want their approval. We want them to look at our lives and say, that person has it together. And yet we say that Jesus is our everything. We say that we're living for his approval and all that matters is his approval. The problem isn't laying down our garment or a palm branch on Sunday and saying, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is my king. The problem is that we're not laying down our garments or our palm branches or our lives on Sunday afternoon or Tuesday evening or Friday night. We're saying Jesus is king and Jesus is Lord one time a week, two times a week, and the other days we're saying, I've just got to survive. I've just got to do what's, what's best for me. We're hypocrites. Well, how can we avoid hypocrisy? I think one of the greatest ways that we can avoid hypocrisy is, is through our theology. Theology is just a, a system of beliefs, and it sounds more intense than it is, but let me just say it this way. You have a theology in life for many things. Why do many of us work out? Because we hold the belief that working out makes us healthy and keeps us healthy. Why do we put our kids to bed at a certain time? Because we have a theology that says kids need sleep to grow and be healthy. And our theology must be anchored in Jesus also. Our beliefs will shape the way that we think and shape the way that we act. And so our theology must say that Jesus deserves to be our king all week. And Jesus needs to be our king all week. Theology helps us avoid hypocrisy. Another thing that I think helps us avoid hypocrisy, I would call fresh water. See, it's been said that, that our lives leak over time, and, and so the things that we know and trust sometimes fade away from our lives, and so we have to make sure that we're pouring fresh water into our minds. This setting that you're in right now, where you can be taught God's word, where you can hear God's word, where you can worship, this is fresh water. Waking up early in the morning or, or spending time before you go to bed, reading the Bible and talking to God is fresh water pouring into your life that will keep you focused and keep you alert and keep your mind and your eyes on him. Community is another thing that keeps us from hypocrisy. It would be great to, to just think, well, I made a commitment to Jesus and I'm going to be a perfect Christian the rest of my life. But guess what? Sometimes when I'm at my movement group and they're saying, hey, how's life? And I start talking about things out loud. I get a couple sentences in and I have that awakening where I think, I wasn't a good husband this week. And the guys in my group will look at me as if to say, you weren't a great husband this week. And sometimes I need that. Sometimes I need someone to point out that my mind and my motives and my thoughts have been the thoughts and the mind and the motives of a hypocrite. We need community. We need fresh water. What does it look like to say, Jesus is my king? What does that look like day to day? Well, it looks like obedience. And I think we're given an example of that in this story. Do you ever think about the, the guy or the, the, the people who were standing there when the, when the disciples were like, hey, can we have that donkey? Verse 4 says this, The two disciples left and found the colt standing in the street, tied outside the front door. As they were untying it, some bystanders demanded, What are you doing untying that colt? 
They said what Jesus had told them to say, which was, the Lord needs it, and they were permitted to take it. Back then, an animal was a big deal. An animal was your livelihood. An animal was an investment. An animal was your career. The Lord needs it? Imagine if if the Lord asked for your car or your livelihood or your investments. Those people didn't say, why does he need it? They just said, the Lord needs it? Sounds good to me. If we're going to say that Jesus is our king, our lives will have patterns of obedience. Obedience is giving Jesus anything and everything that he asks for from our lives. Jesus, you want my Saturday mornings? Done. You want some of my money? You're the king. You want my career? You want my livelihood? You're the king. Why would you give things to this king? There have been a lot of kings over the course of time, right? Right? Small K king. But see, we're we're not still talking about those kings. Caesar was the king in this day and age, and no one's still talking about Caesar unless they're talking about the world's worst pizza that you can buy for $5, right? That's the only time you hear the word Caesar mentioned. And yet this king was different from all the other kings. See, all the other kings died. This king died, but he resurrected from the dead to defeat sin and to defeat death and to give us life. This king proved himself to be different. And after his resurrection, the world saw that and the world saw a difference. And we saw an explosion of the gospel and the growth of the church and and believers going all over the world to tell people about the gospel. And we are still a part of that explosion and that growth and that kingdom today. We don't wake up early to set up a YMCA with way too many black curtains because that king was pretty cool. We get together here on Sundays because that king was the king of kings. And his kingship requires our lives and we love to proclaim his name. We love to say that Jesus is risen and Jesus is hope and Jesus has changed our lives. That is why this king is different. This king came for people who are lost in their sins so that we could be free from our sin by surrendering our lives to him. And so I think this king is worth following. I think this king is worth surrendering to. But let me say this again. Be careful proclaiming Jesus as your king without considering what his kingship requires. Following this king, making Jesus your king, will require surrender from your life. Your life will no longer be about you. And you can either be mad about that and go back and forth and waffle on that decision or you can say, no, I'm all in on this king. I surrender to him and I sacrifice every part of my life. And to say that, you're not just saying words. You're not just faking it for a day. You're not just throwing down some palm branches and saying, yep, I'm excited. Because following this king is different. His kingdom lasts forever and he's worth it. We always talk about making a decision for Christ, and and I do believe that following Jesus begins with a one-time decision, 
But when we reduce it to a one-time decision, we make it sound like a transaction. You want to buy that? Yeah, sure. Just, just act like you like Jesus right now. Or here, give me, give me $20 and, and you can be a Christian. You can be a Christ follower. So we're not called to just make a one-time decision for Jesus. We're called to multiple decisions and we're called to offer our allegiance above all else. And so to follow Jesus, to make him our king, we're invited into a life of communion, a life of surrender, a life of apprenticeship where we're constantly following him and changing our natural tendencies and the way that we live because we want to be more like him and we want to look like the king. It's never just a decision. The scriptures say, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. See, we're saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. When we know that we've been defining our own success and making ourself king and ourself Lord, and when we want to turn from our own desires and say, Jesus, I'm following after you. I'm surrendered to you. I'm grateful for your sacrifice in my life, and I want to build your kingdom. That's when we're understanding what it means to follow Jesus. So I want to ask you, is he your once a week king? Is he the one hour king, the twice a year king, Christmas, Easter, and if grandma asks us to pray at a family gathering, king, or is he your everything? If you want to talk to someone today about Jesus being your everything, if you want to talk to someone today about Jesus transforming your life and your heart, we would love to talk to you at the next steps table. But let me say this to those who may not be following Jesus yet and to those of us who would say that we are. Be careful proclaiming Jesus as your king without considering what his kingship requires. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for coming to this world and giving your life. Jesus, thank you for laying your life down. God, thank you that we can identify with your death and burial and resurrection and have life in you. Thank you that we can have hope in you. Thank you that we can know that we will be with you for eternity and celebrate with you. Jesus, we are grateful, and so we want to respond joyfully with our hearts, with our lives, with our emotions, and with our everything. God, I know that there are moments that we fail at that, that we feel like hypocrites, that we fall short of living our commitment to you. God, we pray that we won't just judge the people who laid down palm branches today and think, man, I'm glad I'm better than that. I pray that we will look in the mirror and say, Lord, how have I been a hypocrite? How have I considered you my half king or my 60% king or my sort of king? God, help us to adore you with our lives to adore you with our emotions, to adore you with our parenting, with our career, with our finances, with our, with our everything. God, I pray if there's someone in here today that has never given you their everything, they've never said, Lord, I identify with your death, burial, and resurrection, and I want to surrender my life to you. I've looked for meaning in other things, and I want to look for meaning in you. God, I pray that you will give them the courage to do that today. I pray that you will give them the courage to build their life on you, the foundation that never moves, never shakes, and is never taken away. God, be with us now as we sing, as we worship. Help us to be a church that's committed to you, a church that proclaims to the world that you are our king. Help us to mean that when we say it. It's in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. 
We hope wherever you are, this message encourages you to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus. For more information about Movement Church, including attending a worship experience, getting connected, or to give online, please visit movementcolumbus.com.